So one of the things that I threw out was the idea of discipleship. And uh, Dawson Trotman in his book that talked about how we should be, we are born to reproduce, that we should be reproducing uh, other people who love the Lord, would disciple them, they would disciple others, and so on. And I was in the city of Whittier uh, this past week at the building department, and they were having a problem with pet overpopulation. And um, while the gal was taking care of some things I needed done, I was sitting there copying this down. Probably the only person that ever did that, actually. But it was a notice on pet overpopulation. Here's what it said. It said, did you know? Did you know if two unaltered healthy cats bred twice a year and 2.8 kittens from each litter survive? And then they would breed during their first year. In just six years, these two cats and their offspring could exceed 73,000. Did you know that? It, oh, you knew that. Now, let me just throw this out. Now, think about this. If two unaltered, healthy Christians... <laughs> bred just twice a year. I, I like the flow of that for some reason. But if, if I could just challenge you to think about that, we've got a couple in here, Craig and Judy Kiggins. Would you stand up a second? They came up afterwards, and they volunteered... That, no, that's, that's, that was too short a second. How about a little longer second? We just stand up just for, how about, a, how about like, like 10 seconds, okay? So, and you all can count one. No, don't count out like. But any m male or female that would desire to learn how to disciple, to be discipled, and I don't even want to ask, but I am just uh, amazed at the lack of discipleship that takes place. And I know that without asking that the pre predominance of those who are in here this morning have never been discipled, nor have you ever discipled anyone. And so if uh, cats can do it, um, and God encourages us to go and make disciples of all nations, I'd say that one of the things that we should incorporate in our spiritual game plan is to be making disciples. And here's a couple who is willing to take any of you who want to be discipled, want to learn how to disciple and would make a commitment that at the end of that period of time that God willing you would go and be able to disciple someone yourself. I'd encourage you to see them at the end of the class because it's very important and I think it's a practical way to put into, to, to put into practice what we're learning as far as rewards. What are good works? What are bad works? We've learned that good works are those things that are, have eternal value. Those things that will stand up at the judgment seat of Christ. And there is no question in my mind that the souls of people who have come to love the Lord because of discipleship are going to be those things that are valuable and will stand before the Lord on Judgment Day. So I want you to consider that, pray about it, and do something about it as well. How many of you have made a decision in your life? Have you ever made a decision without the necessary information and lived to regret it? Okay, you've, you've uh, overreacted. Something has come up and you reacted immediately, you never really checked into it, and you found out later that what you reacted on wasn't right and you made a big mistake. Have you been in that situation? It's dangerous, isn't it? The story goes there's three drunks and they're standing on what? Oh. Oh. There's three drunks, they're standing on top of a 10 story building. They're out on the ledge. The first drunk says to the second and third, I'll bet you 10 bucks I could jump off this ledge and jump back on without falling nor getting hurt. And the second drunk goes, you're on. So sure enough, the first guy jumps off, jumps back, doesn't fall, doesn't get hurt. 
The second guy goes, I can't believe it. He goes, well, this just isn't fair. Give me a chance to win my money back. We'll go double or nothing. Let me do it. First guy goes, oh, okay. Second guy jumps off. Ten stories later, splat. Dead. Third guy looks at the first guy and he goes, she's Superman. You sure are a mean drunk. <laughs> it's dangerous. Dangerous. You got to check into the facts. And you know the problem is, the problem is we've come to some conclusions on this whole series in rewards. We've come to conclusions without basing it on any information. And as a result, we've made the plunge. We believe certain things about heaven. We believe certain things about rewards. We believe certain things about works. We believe certain things without any adequate information to back it up. And as dangerous as it was for that man to ch challenge Superman, that's the same foolishness that we employ if we don't check into the facts. What does God teach compared to what we believe? Because we believe things for a number of reasons. And so as we've been going through this series on rewards, you'll remember that there are two basic questions that we answered. The one question was, where will you spend eternity? Without that question being answered, there's no sense in discussing anything about works. Jesus never talked to anybody about works until they had placed their faith and trust in Him. And then He encouraged them to live a life pleasing to God. It's impossible to please God. We know by grace we've been saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. It's not of works. A crowd came to Jesus in John chapter 5 and said, Lord, what are the works of God that we must do? Jesus never said you need to do this or you need to do that. You know what He said? You must believe on Him whom He has sent. That is the work that you must do. So the first question we've answered is, have you put your faith and trust in Christ? If you have, then the second question is appropriate. And that is, we know that we're going to be in heaven with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. We're guaranteed that. We're assured of that. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away. All things become new. This is the record. This is the testimony. God's given us eternal life. If any man be in Christ, he has eternal life. That's an assurance. Jesus said in John 5 again, if you put your faith and trust in me, you'll have eternal life. You'll pass from death to life. Now the second and very appropriate question is, if I have put my faith and trust in Christ and I'm in that camp, what do I have to look forward to when I get to heaven? What do we have to look forward to? How many of you believe that all those who trust in Christ will be rewarded equally? How many believe that all those who trust in Christ will have equal reward in heaven? How many believe that five weeks ago and aren't sure about it now? Huh? How many wish that was the case? See, I was reading through Hebrews chapter 11. I just got done reading a book this week, um, Brother Andrew, God Smuggler. Read through Hebrews chapter 11. You read through this chapter on faith, the great men of God and the women of God and what they suffered and how they perse were persecuted and how they suffered for their faith and what it cost them to follow Christ. And what I see is the arrogance of 20th century Christians in America is that we have put ourselves into this illustrious camp because we all equally have put our faith and trust in Christ, but that's about as far as the comparison goes. How many of you have been persecuted for the sake of Christ? 
How many of you have ever experienced loss of your possessions for the sake of the gospel? Read through this book about smuggling Bibles into Eastern Bloc countries, and a person that follows Christ knew what it meant to pick up their cross daily and follow Christ. Their jobs were on the line, their property was on the line, their possessions were on the line, and their lives were on the line every day for the, the cause of Christ. And so we get together as 20th century Christians in America and we say that God should reward us all equally. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10 says that God is not unjust to forget your works of righteousness that which you have ministered to those and the saints who are around you. It comes back to the justice, the character of God. How just would God be for you and I who have never experienced the persecution of those in Hebrews 11 and those of other believers around the world, what they're going through, how just would it be for God to put us all on an equal plane when we're before His sight someday in heaven? It's arrogance, it's not biblical, and we need to understand that. There is a different structure. We all are going to be there because we put our faith and trust in Christ. But let me just tell you something. It is arrogance on our part to believe that you and I are going to have an equal position in the kingdom of God when we have never, ever suffered for the sake of Christ. Read your Bibles, people. See what God has to say about it. And you know what? It should get you off your deaths if you want to be in that camp and start paying the price for the cause of Christ. Why do we do what we do? That's what we're going to take a look at. We're going to look at why we do what we do. See, the Bible is very clear that there are going to be good works, there are going to be bad works. Those good works are those that withstand the judgment of Christ. The bad works are those which we will have no reward for. We need to look at that and consider that. And the problem is that we see that we do things because we have innate desires. There's an outside influence that causes us. And we're going to talk this morning because this is the question you've all been asking. Only some of you have voiced it. But how many of you are wrestling with this whole thing in rewards? I don't like this concept of rewards because to me it seems like you're being selfish if you are serving God because what you get out of it. How many of you have a problem with that? How many of you are like still wrestling with what I just said five minutes ago? We can move on. Just plant that somewhere there. I want you to wrestle with it later. Now let's move on to this. How many of you think, how many of you are wrestling with that whole thing? I mean, seriously, how many of you have been told you should serve God because you love God? You shouldn't be doing it because you're going to get something out of it. If you're doing it because you're going to get something out of it, then you're not going to get anything out of it because you're doing it selfishly and you're going to get out of it. If you get out of it, you get out of it now and you're not going to get out of it then, so you're really not going to get anything out of it. Amen. Right? I mean, how many of you have been taught that? Now, here's the problem we're going to have. We know we have innate desires. We have things in our lives that turn us on, that make us tick. We've got things that we want, and there are things that we want to have. Now, there's outside influence. Okay, We're going to take a look at that. What is the outside influence? The problem that we have is that we don't think that God motivates us. We don't think God motivates us at all. We believe somehow along the line that there are influences on our life, and the first influence is temptation to do the things that are wrong because we read in uh, James chapter 1 verse 14 each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and he's enticed so there's not a person here if I would challenge you to ask you this question how many believe that you experience temptation in your life 
things that will drag you to do those things that are wrong. Do you believe that? You wrestle with it every day. You're wrestling it right now. Some of you want to kill me for what I just said a minute ago. That's wrong. I just want to let you know. That is wrong. Evil desire. But the Bible is clear. Each one is tempted, one by his own desires. He's dragged away and enticed. But then there's also the flip side of this. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Forget not all His benefits. The question is, you've got temptation that offers benefits. You've got motivation that offers benefits. There are benefits to both. Now the question is, who influences us? What is the source of the influence? The Bible is pretty clear that Satan is the source of all temptation. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica in, in the first chapter, uh, third chapter, verse 5. He says, I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. That there is a very real personality all throughout the Bible and his name is Satan. And his job is to derail those of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ. You see, the Bible is very clear. Once you have put your faith and trust in Christ, you will never, ever lose your soul to Him. You are eternally secure in Christ. So what does He want to do? He wants to make sure you don't do anything that advances the kingdom of God. He wants to make sure that all the works that you do are those bad works which will gain you no reward and will burn in the judgment day. That is his sole responsibility to those of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ. That is what he is out to do. We see it in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus confronted uh, Satan. And Satan offered him all those things in the world. Power, possession, pleasure, the things that we talked about over the last couple of weeks. He wanted to derail Jesus from doing the mission that he was sent here to do. He wanted to subterfuge. He wanted to de deceive him in a way that would not allow him to finish it. So there's a very real personality all throughout Scripture who wants you to stop doing what God wants you to do. And we battle that every day. The question is, there isn't one of you out here who would deny the fact that Satan is real because of the temptation you experience in your life. Here's where I've seen that we have a problem. You mean God motivates me? You mean God's just not sitting around somewhere in it's like horse and buggy that doesn't have any chrome on it? And he just sits there and goes, oh boy, I wonder what's going to happen next. I mean, God is not actively... Uh, participating in your life to try to combat the temptations that Satan has to offer you every day. God is here to motivate. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. Philippians 3.14 Is that a motivation? Where was Paul writing that from? From a prison. And you know what he said? You know what motivates me? Is to press on toward the goal to Christ, that which He's called me to do. I'm in a prison, I'm being persecuted, but you know what my motivation is? That there is something worth pressing on for. God is motivating. You ever wonder who motivates the motivators? Think about all the great motivators you know. Oh, there's the, the Zig Ziglar's and the Tommy Hopkins and the uh, Tommy Lasorda's, you know, those kind of guys. You ever wonder who motivates the motivators? So, do you remember the old TV show, White Shadow? White show, bad basketball players. Well, there was this one episode, I'll never forget it. They were in this airplane, and the plane was having engine troubles. So the two, there was two young men that were sitting together, and the plane, they, they thought the plane was going to crash land, and so the one boy is praying. And the other boy is looking at him going, man, what are you doing? He said, I'm praying. He said, what, what do you mean praying? He said, I'm praying to God. 
He said, I'm praying to God. I, I mean, I don't want us to crash. And the other guy said, well, I, don't, I don't believe in God. And the boy praying looked at him and said, why not? He goes, well, I believe in that Big Bang thing. He goes, oh, the Big Bang Theory. He goes, yeah. He goes, well, what is that? He goes, I don't know. All these dust got together and they banged into each other and everything came to be that you see. And the, little, and the young man looked at him for a moment that was praying and he said, well, where did all the dust come from? And, and then there's a pause and the next scene you see them both going. <laughs> and I thought, that is a classic argument to, wait a minute, who motivates the motivators? Who is probably the greatest motivator that we'll ever know? And that's God Himself. See, because if God made you and me, He knows everything about us. He knows what makes us tick. He knows what turns us on. He knows what can get us to go. And why is it that we have such a problem with believing that God is a motivator? That God wants to motivate you and I. So the question we're going to ask this morning, and we're going to go through it, is on motivation. I'm going to skip through some of these other things and get right down to what I want to talk about this morning. Uh, what is motivation? What is motivation? Somebody help me out. Define it. Let's get some interaction going here. Motivation. Define motivation. To get you to act. To motivate you. It's an incentive. Okay? What does motivation want to do? It wants to get you to act. If you motivate, you want to get someone to act, right? What, what do you want, where do you want them to go? What do you want them to do? If you're here, where do you want them to get them to go? There. Yeah, good. I like that. If this is this, then this is that. If this is here, then this is there. Okay? The whole thing of motivation, if you were to define it, would be to move someone from one place to another. Does God want, does God want us to move from one place to another? Okay, where does he want us to go? Huh? Death unto life. You weren't here when I picked on Barbara Clausen for talking in language that no one understands, but... <laughs> Death unto life. <laughs> hey, you're sorry you weren't here now, aren't you? That I'll teach you and not showing up one week. We went from death into life. That, that's, for, that's like TV stuff, man. Let's get down to reality here. Um, I want to move you from here to there. What, is, what does God want us to do? What is God? Sorry, thanks. I'm glad you're a good sport. Uh, <laughs> I pray you're a good sport. <laughs> ah, I know you're a good sport. What? Okay. He wants us to move from where we're at now that doesn't conform to what he teaches in the Bible about our character and our behavior to what he does teach. Okay? Very simple. Let's break it down. English. If you're a liar, he wants you to stop lying. So he wants you to move from here where you are over to here where you're not. If you are... Um, a jerk. That's English. That's simple. Uh, you, don't, you don't treat people like they should be treated. Uh, you're abusive. Okay? He wants you to move from here to where you are kind and compassionate. Okay, now we're catching on? Okay. If you are foul mouth, 
like I know I was before I came to Christ and had that language mastered. It was actually a second language in Pittsburgh. Um, or it was the first language. Yeah, English was the second language. I knew. It was like, okay. And then he said, you know what? Don't let any unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is edifying for the moment. He wanted me to move from here to being encouraging and building people up. Sometimes it seems like a long way to go, doesn't it? See, God is a motivator. He wants you to move from where you are to where you're not. See, but we'll, we'll throw out things like He wants you to move from death into life. He wants to, to move you to conform more in the image of Christ, which are all true and they're all biblical and they do make sense if you know what the image of Christ is. But if you don't, it doesn't make any sense. So if it doesn't make sense, you don't do it. But if you just leave with these couple little things where God wants to motivate you from your, your speech pattern and habits to something that's cleaner, from lying to not lying, from being abusive to being compassionate, see, then you understand that and then you have to wrestle with that when you leave here and that's what God's convicting you about. And that's how He motivates you. That's where He wants you to change. See, God wants life change. He wants life change. So, now the question is, how do... How does God accomplish that? How does He get us from go to from here to there? Last night is was the greatest night. We're involved with the the Cursey Shepherd group, and the question came up: How do you influence your children's behavior? How many of you have wrestled with that? Huh? Okay, I'm going to ask you some questions. This is going to be we're going to just do some interaction here. Okay, you ready? How do you get um, How do you get one of your children has a bad habit not telling the truth? How do you influence them to tell the truth? Help me out. Come on. Oh, I know. I'm sure we're the only people that... See, I like this because these are all things I wrestle with. I wrote them all down. Here's what we're going through with our kids. Oh, this is a good one. We'll get some good feedback tomorrow on that one. Um, tell the truth. Oh, I'm sure your kids don't lie, but we have one that does. Pardon me? Threaten them. I like that. I like that. I like that one. Threaten them. I hadn't thought of that one. <laughs> Being the kind and compassionate guy that I am now. Uh, threaten them though. But wait, wait, don't, don't, don't. Wait, 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 wait. Tell the truth yourself. Don't, wait, no. How? We'll get to that. How do you threaten them? Punishment. Good. Oh, yeah. I couldn't have figured that one out. Specifically. Okay, that sounds good. Or else what? Or else you die. I like that. That's good. That'll work. But you can only do that to him once. Okay. All right. But but I, well, but we'll get to that. I like that. So what what is that? What what motivation is that? Fear. I think it would be. Do it or you die. Okay. Fear, all right? That makes sense, doesn't it? Okay, um, what? How about letting us suffer consequences? Why did you move us here? Uh, there are natural you consequences know, that come and Sometimes Area where people seem, seem to move in and out and continuously. I've talked to several people within this class. They may not be here this morning, but I've come up and said, or, you know, okay. Uh, 
punishment is a bad word. Discipline. It could be a discipline that you teach them. What's your confidence? Uh, teaching them God's word. There are natural What's your confidence? Okay. Oh, it, it can be. But I know people you tell that to, they just blow you off. You go to hell? What? You go to hell. Um, so, fear's one. Fear's one. What else? Bribes. Bribes. Now we're talking. See, this is good stuff. This is like, this is English. This is the, the English version of the Bible. I like this. Bribes. What kind of bribes? Oh, wait. Tell the truth. You're going to bribe them to tell the truth. Maybe. Maybe. I like the other one better, though. But we'll... <laughs> bribes. Okay, bribes. Okay, well, here, let's switch to something else. Um, how about uh, if your child has a tendency not to show up in school regularly? <laughs> huh? Let them flunk. You know how long they'll live with you if you let them flunk? <laughs> no, son, you need an education. For all of our sake, you need an education. Okay, but let's go back to bribe. What now? What what do bribes equate to in like biblical language? Rewards. This is fascinating. You mean like if you have a child that doesn't like to read? How do you get? Um, here's a good example. My son, trying to get him to memorize the books of the Bible. You know when he had a deep desire to memorize the books of the Bible? When he was going to be paid something. What a demented little capitalist he is. <laughs> Television. <laughs> okay. Outside influence. We'll talk about that later. Only good things like sporting events. Um, no, yeah, like hockey. That's, oh gosh, ladies, give me a break. Okay. Rewards. How many of you ever done that? To modify one of your children's behavior, said, if you do this, then you receive this, huh? How many of you have the little chore lists? You get sick and tired of? Here, but you know what? Here's what we, here's what we're going to say. Okay, you ready for this? If you love mom and dad, you'll read your books. What? Why? It should. Oh, it, it, it. kids are self-centered little. Okay, where they learn that? Ah, got you. Okay, um, or, gee, you know, you really should go to school regularly because you love us. Or, how about the little three-year-old that likes to draw on the wall? You know, Sally, if you really love Mommy, you won't draw on the wall. Seventeen times later, Mom, you draw on the wall. You don't love Mom. You know what? If you draw on the wall one more time, I am going to kill you. <laughs> they can't relate to that one, so you come up with something else. If you lie, you will eat dial soap. Ooh, that's so cruel, isn't it? You know what, though? It's great. It works. Oh, yeah. You know what? 
It really is. Liquid soap is great stuff. You know what's the most fun part about it? I know it doesn't stick in the teeth quite as much. Yeah, but you know what I have them do? This was great. <laughs> I, hey, think whatever you want. But we're talking about modifying behavior. We're talking about motivation. We're talking one of our offspring had a problem of lying. And uh, after a while, you know, you just go through it over and over again. You just kind of go, man, you know what? There's, we see no behavior modification happening here whatsoever. I'm sure he loves us, but he just likes to lie as well. So we don't let it bother us and ruin our self-esteem that he might not like us. <laughs> so nailed him in a lie and said, okay, what did I tell you what happened the next time you lie? Well, I have to eat soap. Well, what do you think I should do? Well, you know, he didn't want to really tell you. Like, you know, cut me some slack. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, no, well, we'll cut you some soap. <laughs> so, we go up to the bathroom, and then we have one of those little things. You, you know, the push, you t push the things, and they squirt out, you know, the liquid soap. And I said, okay, open up. And I held this thing like this. And he goes, let me do it. <laughs> said, that's fine with me. No fingerprints on the soap. Can't be too cautious this day and age. So he goes, and he was, I mean, this, you thought he was going to die. I mean, he was going to die. And he wanted to spit it out right away. So, don't spit it out. See, liquid soap, you don't get the little chunks in like I used to get, you know, that you have to chew like for three days. <laughs> and so he just kind of like, why don't you just kind of swish it around there a little bit, you know? Kind of get the taste for it, the feel for it. Pretty good stuff, huh? And you know what's so f I mean, then we try to rinse it out. Guess what happens? <laughs> he had bubbles coming out of his ears. He had bubbles coming out of every orifice that he had there. God gave him. We had bubbles all over the place. And, you know, it's been a couple of weeks now. But you know what? I see some movement in his life. <laughs> no, it didn't give him the runs. I see some movement in his life. He went, what? Don't worry about it. It's all right. It's safe. But he went from here to starting to go over there. Now, you can think all you want, but let me just tell you something. His love for us wasn't strong enough for him to tell the truth. Sorry. Now, you know what's so funny? What do you say? Let's get back to the subject here a minute. What do you say about serving God? We should serve God because we love Him. Right? Remember last week when I asked you how many of you felt that there was some room for improvement in your Christian walk? Do you remember like 100% of you said, I need to go from here and I need to be going over there. And if I said, do you love the Lord? What would you say? Oh, I do. I do. Then why are you still over here? Do you think maybe God knows something about us? Do you think maybe the only difference between my children or your children and you is that you're just in older bodies? In some cases, much older bodies? Huh? that there may not be any difference at all between what will motivate you to go from here to here. And we've come up with and adopted this philosophy somehow or another that's not biblically based 
that guess what? It's wrong to serve God for any other motive besides love. So you know what it is? It's an excuse to do nothing. That's why it's bothering you. That's why it bothers me. How does God motivate? Does God use fear? Huh? Check this out. God use fear? If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. Any motivation there? You better believe it. Fear. You don't do it, you're going to be destroyed. Does God use that same motivation today? Oh, you say, well, that's the Old Testament. No, God just, he was always zapping people in the Old Testament. He doesn't do that anymore. Does God use love? We go from chapter 8 to chapter 6, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 8. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Does God use love to motivate? Why should we do this? Because we love Him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Teach this to your children. Motivate them by the love that you have for me. Then you teach them how they too shall love me as well. God uses fear. God uses love. Now sandwiched in the middle of these two, we read, if you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, the Lord your God will, listen to this, love you and bless you increase your numbers. He'll bless the fruit of your womb, the crops of your land, the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks, and the land he swore to your forefathers to give you. You will be blessed more than any other people. None of your men or women will be childless, nor any of your livestock without young. The Lord will keep you free from every disease. What's the motivation? What's, huh? Rewards. Do it. If you do it, look what's going to happen. Okay, now wait a minute. Is God confused? Is God confused? Just a moment ago, He said, if you don't do it, you'll be destroyed. If you do do it, you'll be blessed. And in the middle of all that is, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love God. Teach this to your children. Impress it upon their hearts. Is God confused? Wait a minute. What motivation's right? Huh? All of them? Right? If we had time, guess what? God hasn't changed. Go through the Gospels. You know how God motivates in the Gospels? Rewards, fear, and love. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. In the epistles, not to be confused with the wives of the apostles, we see the same thing. Love, fear, and rewards. Can I ask you a question, personal question? What does it take for God to motivate you? Are you motivated enough because you love Him? Or are you still at a point where you need rewards? Or are you motivated because you're afraid of them? What motivation is right? Take your children. Do you ever employ all three of those? Oh, really? You mean all three are okay? You know what motivation is the best? 
the one that works. Yeah. See, the motivation that's best is the one that's going to take you from here and get you to there. God demands life change. When we're wrestling with our children and we're trying to get life change, you know what? We employ all of them. I don't just use fear. There are times they do things because they love us. I don't understand that. You ever have that when your kids do something and you say, why did you do this? You say, oh, just because we love you. What are you up to? <laughs> what is going on here? What are you up to? You know what? But there are times they do it. And you know what it's based on? And we're going to close on this. There are times in our lives where the only motivation we respond to will be fear. There are times in our lives the only motivation we'll respond to is going to be rewards. And there are times in our lives in our walk with the Lord that the only motivation that we need is because we love Him. And it just depends on where we're at in our walk with Him. And I want you to notice something about children and it's same with us. The younger they are, the more you use fear. If you do this, then this is what will happen. As they grow a little older, and all of a sudden you've got them in this awkward uh, pre-teen or teenage years, early teens, okay, that doesn't work anymore. And you try to use the same discipline, and you get frustrated because sending them to their room or doing what you used to do to them or whatever doesn't work anymore, and they kind of go, ha, ha. I could care less. Send me to my room. I'll never come out again. You know, all of a sudden you go, ooh, wait a minute, that used to make them cry. Now they're using that against us. What do you do? You change it. You find the button that makes them tick. It may be driving the car. It may be dating. It may be car insurance. It may be uh, curfew. You find the button that makes them tick, right? So as the, as the years go on, it used to be fear. Now it's incentive or rewards. And you know what's so funny? And that keeps on going for how long, folks? Till about, they're about 30, 35. <laughs> but then, then there's a point where your children come back and they begin to do things for you because they love you. Is that not true? The maturation of the relationship will determine the type of motivation that we need to use. Please don't develop a mindset based on I don't know what that tells you that you should only serve the Lord out of love and so as a result we use an excuse not to do anything. If it means that you're going to serve them out of fear and it means that you're going to serve them out of rewards of what there is that lies ahead and as you walk in your walk with Him and you begin to seek His face more and more and you begin to understand Him more and realize what He's done for you, all of a sudden those rewards that you were serving for aren't as important now as they once used to be because you're doing it because you love Him. And it's like Matthew 25. Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you naked? When did we see you thirsty? When did we do all these things for you? Do you know why? They were oblivious to it. But at one point in time, it's a volitional decision that I'm going to go this direction or I'm going to go that direction. And you know what happens? Once you walk in it long enough, it becomes a lifestyle. I don't care whether it's sin or whether it's serving the Lord out of love. You start at a certain point. And what I'm going to challenge you to do is to realize God motivates out of fear, out of love, and also out of rewards. And I don't care, and He doesn't either, what it takes to get you off of here and to get you over there. He's going to use whatever it takes. Because you know what? Satan's doing the exact same thing in reverse. 
He wants you doing things that are going to serve the kingdom of Satan, that are temporary, that won't be, that are seen, or you're going to serve the things of God that are going to be rewarded later because you've got an eye on a city whose foundation is the Lord that you can't see, but is there and is real because we know it from this book. And not based on what you think it might be or should be, you've got to read this book. What's it going to take to get you off of here to there? Let's pray. Our Father, how simple it is as we look around us and realize how we use motivation to, life, to cause life change in our children, at work, in so many different arenas. We just see it all the time. Lord, sometimes we show up at work just because we're afraid to lose our job. Regretfully, there are many of us who would never show up if it was just based on whether we loved what we did. And yet at the same time, we look at our spiritual life and think that the only motivation that we should be using is that of love. God, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I think that we all should serve out of love. But I think we all should look at your word and just see what you have to say and realize that at different times in our lives, you tell us that it's going to be fear sometimes, it'll be love sometimes, and other times it's going to be selfishly maybe looking forward to rewards. But Lord, you don't say which one of those is best. You don't say that any of them are wrong. You say that you use all of them. So I guess we can come to the conclusion, Lord, that there are times that every one of them are appropriate. And God, we know that just from practice in our own life. And yet, for some reason, we're just having a hard time accepting it. Father, we just pray that we can understand it enough that we can let it be a cause of action in our life. God, take us where we are and move us more toward Christ to conform more in His image and the way that He lived and the example that He left us, to cause life change that will take us from where we're at to someone who's more pleasing to You in all the things that we do. And Lord, I just pray that we never use the excuse that, well, if I don't do it out of love, I shouldn't do it at all. And realize that often that first step is a step that we're going to take hesitantly and reluctantly. But You say as we walk in it longer that it will become a lifestyle. God, help us to see it. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.